What if I were to tell you that I had set up an appointment between you and myself and the richest, most experienced, and wisest person in the world? Well, that's exactly what I've done. Welcome to the Ecclesiastes series. It's called Chasing the Wind. Now, what is the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, when people think about that book, it's often the book that they don't know very much about. It's it's that book that's kind of hid away in the Old Testament that is curiously uh, never preached on very much. You've probably not read a lot of books on Ecclesiastes, but what if I were to tell you that the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe one of the least read books of the Bible, has a ton to say to us today? What if I were to tell you it may be one of the most relevant books in the entire Bible to what you deal with every single day of your life? So during this series, I'm going to invite all of us to head to the coffee shop and grab a cup and listen to the preacher of preachers. In fact, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. The word Ecclesiastes is where we get the word ecclesia in the New Testament, which means church. Uh, The word Ecclesiastes means preacher. That's what we're going to do for a few weeks. We're going to go to church, but it's not church maybe like you've ever thought of it. It's not going to be a cheerleader session that's going to make you feel better about everything. This is an examination of life. It's an examination of your life and mine. It's an examination of what this entire thing is all about. Great philosopher Socrates, uh, right before he was executed, said this famous statement. He said, a life unexamined is a life It's not worth living. And I think that's true. And what we're going to find is that the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, would say absolutely that he agrees with that statement. A life unexamined is not worth living. In fact, it's not even a human life, really. Uh, It's a machine. It's an animal. But it's not a human life, one that is not examined. So what we're going to do with the book of Ecclesiastes is we're going to examine life. In fact, what King Solomon does like no one has ever done before is he takes a mirror and he gets all of humanity to look into that mirror. And it's a mirror that's going to tell the truth. It's going to tell you what is up and what is down. It's going to tell you where you're missing it. And it's going to tell you what life is all about. In fact, these next few weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes will be an examination of all of our lives. And my friends, it may just be an examination that keeps you from wasting your life. So, Join us. Myself, King Solomon, I'll pour you a cup of coffee. Because my friends, it might just be an examination that could keep you from wasting your life. So as we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, as we sit down at the table with our cup of coffee with King Solomon himself, we're going to begin to learn a lot about life. As we examine what it's about, the reason for it, and how we can make the most of it. We'll do that by going to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you have your Bibles or your devices, if you'll turn there with us. One verse I want you to see that kind of sets the tone for the entire book of Ecclesiastes. This is where we got the title for the series. is verse 14 of chapter 1. Listen to what it says. Now Solomon says, I have seen everything that is under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Chasing the wind. That's what many of us are doing in our lives right now with our work and our pursuits, whether it's relationally or financially, we are chasing after the wind. 
If you've ever been outside, you can see the wind, but you can't really see where it's coming from or where it's going. It blows right through your fingertips. You can see the effects of it, but you, you can't grab it and hold it in your hand. And that's often how life feels for us. It feels like we reach our goals and, and then it feels like they did not fulfill uh, the hunger and thirst of our hearts. We chase and chase and chase to find dead-end roads or to actually achieve what we wanted only to find that it did not bring us happiness, purpose, and peace. Solomon is going to answer those deep, gnawing questions of the human soul in this book so that we don't end up spending our entire lives chasing after the wind. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes now. All right, beginning with chapter one, let's just read what the great preacher, uh, the king in Israel had to say. He says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's how we know it's Solomon. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Now, what is King Solomon doing here? I mean, if I'm going to have a cup of coffee with the guy, I want him to be more encouraging than this. But what you need to understand about the book of Ecclesiastes is, number one, it doesn't have to be confusing if you understand what it's all about. And number two, it can be very encouraging if you understand what Solomon is trying to do by showing us the mirror. Now, let's be honest. Mirrors are not always fun to look into because they tell you the truth. The unadulterated, un uh, watered down truth. Tells you what you look like. And if you don't look in the mirror, you can end up really embarrassing yourself, right? Have you ever walked outside to find out that your hair was not looking as good as you thought it would? It's because you didn't check it before you went outside. Or maybe you had misbuttoned your shirt or maybe a collar was sticking up or maybe your tie was all crooked. There's a million things that can go wrong if you're not willing to look in the mirror and listen to what the mirror tells you. Well, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is like a mirror and that we should not look into it and then forget what it has to say to us. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is a really great mirror to look into because what's going to happen here is Solomon is asking the big, big questions that we all ask. He's going right at it and he goes ahead and assumes the answers that you and I will give to these big questions of life and he tears them apart. Uh, the trite uh, the, the answers that we have that make us feel better, that make us think everything's going to be all right, he obliterates those answers in these first few verses. He, he gives us a dose of perspective and reality on life that we really need. Because what he tells us is life under the sun, and that's a huge phrase to grab onto, 
under the sun. He's going to use that phrase a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what does he mean? He means that most of us are living life like it's only under the sun. In other words, the here and the now, right here on this earth. And we live very short-sighted lives. We spend our money like it's just life under the sun. We deal relationally with people like this is all there is and there's nothing else. Even those of us who believe in Jesus, who call ourselves Christians, often live a different way. We don't live with eternity in view. We live like it's life under the sun. So what Solomon does is he says, here is what life under the sun looks like. It is meaningless. It is dark. It is joyless. It is purposeless if it's only life under the sun. It's kind of like when you take medicine as a kid and being a dad myself, you know, you give your kid that cough medicine that tastes so bad. It's so horrible. And and while it's really tough for your kid to get it down, it ends up working. It, It ends up helping with the cough. That's what Solomon's doing here. He's giving us medicine for our souls that's really hard to get down, but we desperately need it to help us with the illness we all have. And it's this propensity we have to totally waste our lives. So Solomon says the way to not waste your life is, first of all, be honest about the situation. If it's only, if life is only about what's under the sun, then he says it's vanity among vanities. Now, what is that idea of vanity? Well, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to give us three different views of vanity. So as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, which literally means preacher, we're hearing from the great preacher and the great king of Israel, Solomon, richest and wisest guy ever, right? We're having a cup of coffee with him. And he uses this word vanity over and over again throughout the book as he's trying to help us examine our lives. He's trying to keep us from wasting our lives. And the three different views he gives us on the idea of vanity is, first of all, the idea that life, vanity, what we do under the sun, remember, he's giving us that context. Life under the sun on this earth, if there's nothing else, there's nothing else to it. If there is no God, if we don't have a creator, if there is no savior, if the Bible's not true, if the whole story of the gospel is not true, if this life is all there is under the sun, then it's vanity. And the three views he gives, number one, it's fleeting. He he gives us the idea that the vanity of life is that it's so brief. It's just gone. We're just a drop in the bucket. And that's the idea you get from this first section of verses. He tells us here, listen, what has been is what's going to be. When you and I are gone, the rivers are going to keep flowing to the sea just like they always have. The wind's going to keep blowing. The sun's going to get up tomorrow. And if you and I die today, tomorrow, or next week, it's not really going to matter because life under this sun is just billions of people living and dying every single day, and it really doesn't matter. If life is only life under the sun, then all we are are accidental compilations of molecules and atoms that just came together and formed this haphazard thing called life, and when our cells die, then it doesn't matter. That's what Solomon's trying to get us to see. And the first idea when he says vanity of vanities is all of this doesn't matter because your life is like here in in, in the next moment, it is gone. This harkens to the idea in the book of James chapter 4, where the writer James in the New Testament says, our lives are like vapor. That's all it is. It's like a mist, a vapor. Here for a moment, gone the next. The the next idea that Solomon gives us when it comes to the idea of vanity, life under the sun, is that it's futile. It's futile. It's it's meaningless. 
Like, it doesn't matter. Not only is it fast, but it's also meaningless. I mean, what does it matter if you build a big house and raise a bunch of kids and have a romantic marriage and eat a lot of good food and travel the world? If, if it's just life under the sun, you're going to die and none of it mattered. Again, accidental compilations of cells and matter. If that's all it is, then he makes the point, it's vanity of vanities. Like, why is there any structure to anything? What matters at all? It's futile if that's all there is. And then finally, the idea of vanity is he gives us the idea that it's incomprehensible. Like, if if there's no plumb line to life, if there's nothing but what is under the sun, if that's all this is, accidental, if, if the cosmos, if this is all there is, and there is no God, and there is no meaning to life, and there is no Bible and truth and gospel and cross and empty tomb and Jesus, if all of that is nothing but a big story and life really means nothing, then it's also incomprehensible, meaning we can find no understanding, and he'll tell you that. It's a, it's a futile pursuit to try to understand, and why would you want to understand anyway? It's a vanity. A van- why would you even pursue wisdom? Why would you even pursue better? Why would you even pursue more if all life is, is this random thing called life under the sun? So when Solomon says here, it is vanity of vanities, all is vanity in verse two, what he's trying to get you to understand is that if your view of life is that there is no God and that you were nothing but an evolutionary process, then nothing matters. And life is futile, and life is quick, and life doesn't even make itself understandable for you. And why would you want to understand it anyway? So as we look at this idea, Solomon is trying to point you to something better. Because if you live your life that way, you will waste this gift from the living God that we call life. So the next idea we see here in these first few verses is the idea of gain. Look at verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all of his toil at which he toils, again, under the sun? In other words, what does it profit us if we work really hard, if life is only life under the sun? No God, no purpose, no reason, if that's all there is. This idea of gain is used very rarely in the Bible. It's used several other places, but not a lot. But it's used many, many times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this idea of gain means after you've done everything you do, what do you have left? That's the idea of gain or profit. And what Solomon's trying to ask you is a really huge question. Again, Socrates said, and I believe Solomon would agree with him, an unexamined life is a life that's not even worth living. So let's examine life. And here Solomon gets to the examination. So here at the table where the two of you are having coffee together, he looks you in the eye and he says, what are you spending your life on? What is your life all about, really? What are you, spend, what are you spending your money on? He asks you why in this, in this beautiful verse, in this poignant, in this penetrating verse that goes into our hearts and lives. He asks one of those big human questions. What does it gain you, all of your toil, all of your striving? So what is it going to gain you? What are you going to have left? Ask yourself that question right now. Look in the mirror and examine your life. What is the purpose of your work? Why why are your relationships the way they are? Have you thought about lately the state of your marriage if you're married or the state of your job if you have a career or the state of your relationship with your children? Have you thought lately about your health, your body, 
Have you thought about what your life is all about? Or are you just running so fast? And that's what Solomon points out. If you're not careful, you will toil and run so hard that you will never ask these important questions. And what Solomon's trying to get you to do is pull the race car of your life over to the side of the road, pull into the coffee shop and sit down with him for a little while. He's going to ask you the tough questions and he wants you to answer the question, what will it gain you? What are you going to gain from all that you're doing? And why are you doing it anyway? And if your life is simply life under the sun, then what in the world is it all about? And, and, and these types of questions could keep you from wasting your marriage, from wasting your life, from wasting your time with your kids, because the years are popping by. And Solomon's letting you know it's fast. He tells you, hey, it's, you're nothing new. And if life's just under the sun, trust me, there's been other humans, there'll be other humans that'll come after you when you die. And so you're talented and creative, good, there's been others. So you built a big house, there's been a million of them. So you're really good at what you do, there were others better, and there will be others that'll come after you who'll be better. Solomon crushes us in these first few verses. And he asks you, what's it really about? All your pursuits, all your worrying, what you think about all the time. Why do you do it? And what will you gain? My friends, that is a question over a cup of coffee that just might change your life. And it just might keep you from wasting your life. So I heard a story a few years ago. It's a sad story about a great athlete. He actually played at, at uh, the university that I, I root for, that I love. Uh, he was a great running back for the University of Alabama. And the story is he was one of the best running backs in collegiate history, really. And he got a big contract when he went to the NFL. And then his career kind of fell apart. He had injuries and he ended up getting cut from several teams, and his career fell apart. But he had a big signing bonus. He had a bunch of money when he first went there, right? And he had all that money in the bank, but he ended up broke. He ended up losing everything he had. And I, I remember reading this article, and this young man sadly said that the whole time he was playing ball for that three or four years that he was in the, in the NFL, that he did not keep up with how his money was being spent. And what he didn't know is he had friends and family members kind of mooching off of him, and they were spending tons of money and buying houses and cars and living extravagantly. And he did not look into it because he didn't examine it because he thought that he had plenty of more years left to make lots of money. He thought there would be an endless supply of playing days and contracts and money. But what happened was he got a wake-up call. His career ended. His body could not keep up with the demands of an NFL career. And guess what? When his body gave up and the teams stopped calling, the money stopped coming, and he was broke. And see, that's what happens when you don't examine life. See, he wasn't keeping up with what he was spending his life on. He didn't even know where all the money was going until it was gone. And the same idea is true here in this first few verses. Look at verse 11 again. Solomon tells us, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. What's he saying? He's saying your life is so fast, so you better examine it. Also, this is a very, very powerful idea that Solomon gives us here, and it's really true. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think is going to remember you? Oh, they'll remember you for a while after you die. Uh, your kids will remember you, but your grandkids, if they know you, they'll remember you. But what about your great-grandkids? Literally, in 40 or 50 years after you die, I hate to tell you this, most people won't remember you. Most people won't be telling your stories. 
And let's say you leave a bunch of money behind you and they build a big building with your name on it. Well, three or 400 years after that, that building will be torn down and then no one will ever remember you again. Think about it. How much do you know about your great-grandfather? What can you say about him? Do you know his name? Do you know what he liked and what he didn't like? You know what kind of guy he was? Do you know what he did for a living? Can you talk about him in any detail? Probably not. All it takes is a generation or two for a person to be forgotten. Solomon is trying to get us to understand here the reality of that. I am recording this from beautiful Mobile, Alabama. It's a historic city here in the United States. And I'm at our Three Circle Church Midtown campus. We're right in the middle of Mobile. And this is one of the oldest cities in America. Uh, just 160, 170 years ago, right here uh, where we are in this area, uh, at the end of the Civil War, a lot of people don't realize that the Union soldiers, when they took over the city of Mobile after they won the Battle of Mobile Bay, they did not burn the city of Mobile. They thought it was too beautiful to burn, and so they wouldn't do it. But the city of Mobile did end up burning a big portion of it. You want to know why? Because a magazine... uh, building, a place where they kept the ammo, the ammunition, it exploded. It was such a big explosion that that boats sitting in the river along Mobile Bay sunk in the water. It was that big, huge crater in the ground. A lot of people were injured. Buildings were messed up and destroyed. But guess what? Most of you don't even know that happened. It was a big deal. People talked about it for a long time, but most Mobilians, and certainly if you moved here from somewhere else, you have no idea that, that the ground underneath us holds all of that history. Why? It makes Solomon's point. Because even if you live an important life, your life will be forgotten. There'll be others that'll come after you. So if that's the case, if all you're striving and toiling, and if all of that's not going to mean anything, then why in the world are you trying so hard? Solomon's asking you the hard question. And what he's going to do now is he's going to give us, in light of all of that, two different popular human approaches to life. And they are humanism and hedonism. Solomon's going to show you both and show you why neither one of those will really work. So let's look at the first approach. Let's look at verses uh, 12 through 18 for a moment. Listen to what Solomon says, and he basically describes uh, probably the most popular approach to dealing with life, and it's the idea of humanism. And humanism means this. Basically, it means self-improvement improving life, making things better for myself and others around me. Look at verse 12. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Look what he says, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, he tried. He tried the self-improvement. He tried to improve the world around him. Look at verse 16. He said, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind, for in much wisdom and much vexation, And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So what Solomon does here is he gives you 
the first approach that, that's probably most popular because most people come to this point where they go, what is life? If life is just under the sun, and if that is your conclusion, then you have to decide, well, then how am I going to live this life, this meaningless, purposeless life that I have? So many people turn to the idea of, okay, what I'm going to do is while I'm here, I'm going to try to make the world a better place, and I'm going to try to make myself a better person. And, and, and that'll be a good way. I'll leave the world a better place. And we use this kind of nonsense at funerals and graduation speeches and college graduation speeches and political rallies all the time. And what Solomon does is the preacher with a cup of coffee in his hand, he says, look, I've been there. I've experienced everything. I know what it's like to be rich and powerful and influential. And he says, so I had with all the resources that a man could have, Solomon says, I chased that. I tried to get smart and wise and experienced and even make everything around me better. I tried to straighten out the crooked stuff. And he says it couldn't be done. Solomon takes our approaches to life that are under the sun and he crushes them beneath the weight of truth. And he holds the mirror up and he says, do you see this is futile? You cannot do this. Solomon has no use for our naivete. He wants us to be clear-minded as we look at life. He doesn't want to tell you, hey, everything will be fine. Just make the world a better place. Make it better than it, give more than when you than, than what you received and just, just live a good life and everything will be okay. And Solomon burst that bubble. And he says, look, I tried that and it was vanity of vanities. There was no purpose in it. And what he's trying to tell you is that if you tried that approach, if you live this life to just make yourself better and make the world a better place around you, he says, your life is too brief, remember, and also it's too weak. It's too futile. You just don't have long enough to make that big of a difference. So Solomon says the humanistic approach simply is not going to work. So not only does Solomon teach us about the humanistic approach, but he also gives us the idea of the hedonistic approach, hedonism. And what that is, if, if humanism is the idea of self-improvement, uh, then the hedonistic approach, hedonism, would be self-indulgence. This is where you go, you know what? I'm going to live it up if my life is futile and it is fleeting, it's brief, and if, and if my life is incomprehensible and I can't even understand it, then I'm going to live it up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, right? I'm going to go Shakespearean with my life. And I'm going to live it up and have a party until the day I die. Well, Solomon tried that too. Let, let's look at what he says here. And it's pretty powerful when uh, you see his words. He says here in these next few verses, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, listen to what he says. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Uh, look what he says. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Now, what, what Solomon is saying here is, look, if you want to take the hedonism approach, the self-indulgence, if you're just going to try to live it up, Solomon says, I tried it. He's the perfect guy to have coffee with. Because he looks at us and he goes, I've got more money than any of you ever had, could ever dream of. I had all the resources in the world and all the power in the world and all the opportunities and all the time. So I went out and lived that life that you think will bring you purpose. Solomon says, I tried it out so that the rest of the world could know. And he had all that experience. And he says, guess what? I realized it meant nothing. Like it meant nothing. It, 
It could not bring me peace. It could not bring me satisfaction. If life, if that's all it is, life under the sun, and you try the approach of just living it up and going after pleasure, well, it just won't work. And see, this is another one of those approaches that we see in our world. We see the approach of humanism. Let's make it a better place. And politics runs down that road. It, let's, let's just make everything better. But it, but it ends up being futile and useless and meaningless. But also, there's this idea of hedonism where people go, you know what? You do you. You find your truth. You be happy. You do what makes you happy. And we live that life. And it ends up not being enough. It ends up leaving us empty and it ends up leaving us hopeless. So Solomon says these two big ideas that the world tends to run to, he says, I tried them both. I figured it out. And they're both futile and they're both fleeting and they're both incomprehensible and they will not bring you peace. So in light of all that, what do we do? What does the preacher tell us? What does he point us to? And what we're going to find out is Solomon really doesn't answer the question here. What he's doing is he's posing a question for us that he knows we're all asking. And he's pointing like all of the Old Testament prophets did and all of the Old Testament writers and kings did. He's pointing to the true answer. He's not just pointing to a, to a philosophy or a truth. He's pointing to a person. He's pointing to Jesus. So what Solomon is doing here in Ecclesiastes is he's asking the big human questions. And then he goes ahead and deals with the, the most common answers to the big question. When you examine life, most humans decide, hey, life is just life under the sun, so I'm either going to have to just be a really good person and try to make the world better, humanism, self-improvement, or I'm just going to live it up and party and eat, drink, and be merry, and I'm going to go the self-indulgent route, and that is hedonism. So he deals with both of those. But what he's doing is he's pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to the, the true answer. The entire Bible points there. When Jesus walked to a, uh, to a place called Emmaus after his resurrection, the Bible tells us that the two followers of Christ that listened to him talk, he showed them how the entire Bible was about him, how all of the Old Testament was pointing right at him. That includes the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was asking those questions. The Greek philosophers that would come after him also asked famously those same types of questions. And, and they had this idea. They had this idea of Lagos. And, and it's this amazing uh, concept. They had this idea that if they could find the Lagos of life, if they could find what it meant, if they could find the Lagos, the, the meaning of life, what it was all about, what it was meant to be, then they could bring hope and purpose and peace for everyone. And they argued about this for years. And they kept trying to figure out what it was because they believed that life, if they could figure out what it was designed for, then they could, they could make it a really good thing. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, if, if you saw me trying to mow my grass with a vacuum cleaner, you would come over and tell me, hey, Chris, your vacuum cleaner was not made to mow the grass. It was made uh, to clean the inside of your house. You need a lawnmower because that wasn't designed to do that. That would be very frustrating, right? To try to mow your yard with a vacuum cleaner, never going to work. Well, the, the Greek philosophers had the idea that we got to figure out what life was designed to be and that the concept behind this was the concept of Lagos. Well, we get to the book of John when Jesus comes and listen to what John says about Jesus. And this is exactly what the great preacher of Ecclesiastes was trying to get us to see. He wanted you to see the hopelessness. He wanted you to see that if life is just life under the sun, it means nothing. You're a blip on the radar. You are nothing but a speck in human history. But then here is the answer. Listen to what 
John says. Verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That Word is uh, Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when Jesus comes, the writers of the Gospels turned the world upside down. When they looked into a culture, they'd have been told, there's no way to find the Lagos. There's no way to find the meaning of life. The philosophers had tried all these different ways. And humans then, like they do now, had, 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 had gone ahead down the road towards either humanism or hedonism. And John steps in and says, we have seen the answer to life. And it's not a person who brought us a truth. It is a person who is the truth. Jesus brings meaning and hope to all of life, and the writer of Ecclesiastes was pointing right to him. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is, John says, he was the Lagos. He was the Lagos made flesh. This is who Jesus was. It is who Jesus is. Solomon tells you, if you don't find God, if you don't find Jesus, then your life will be hopeless. Whether you choose hedonism or humanism, it doesn't matter. You're nothing but a blip on the radar. You're nothing but what James says that we read earlier. You're nothing but a mist. But here's the beautiful thing. If you find Jesus, which is what the preacher of Ecclesiastes was trying to point us to, if you find Jesus, Jesus gives meaning to our mist. Jesus gives dignity to our dash. You know the dash I'm talking about, right? Every tombstone has it. Every one of us is going to have two dates. The date we were born and the date we die, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing, and that's what Solomon was getting at, is what your life is all about. It's the days and weeks and minutes and seconds and moments in between those two dates. It's the dash that they put in between those two numbers, those two dates. And the question is today, with that brief, fleeting moment called our lives, what are you going to do with it? Jesus gives meaning to the mist and Jesus brings dignity to the dash. Because just because your life is fast doesn't mean it can't have meaning and purpose. But you can't do it on your own. You won't find the answer on your own. The preacher of Ecclesiastes was pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ who was the answer to all things. In him and through him, all things have been created. So the question is today, Will you continue to pursue dead-end roads or will you turn to Jesus and believe upon Him and follow Him? Because people who believe and follow Jesus have meaning in every area of their lives. It matters. Everything you do, every moment, every day, your job, your kids, your life, it has meaning, but your life will not have meaning apart from Christ. Jesus alone brings, brings meaning to the mist. So today, allow the writer and the preacher of Ecclesiastes to show you the mirror. Don't forget what you look like when you look in the mirror. Allow the mirror to tell you the truth and turn from your meaningless, purposeless life and turn to Jesus and find meaning for your mist.